0: Welcome to the Enrollment Insights Podcast. In this podcast, our goal is to focus less on the promise of best practices and instead look for the processes and the questions that spark internal reflection and lead to novel solutions tailored to your institution. I'm Angela Brown, Senior Enrollment Insights Leader at NICHE, and today I'll be speaking with Nija Meyer about customer experience in schools. Nija joined Woodward Academy in 2014 to lead the Academy's marketing and communications efforts and was promoted to Vice President for Strategic Marketing and Communications in 2016. In that role, Nija was responsible for sharing the Woodward story with all audiences, including prospective families, current families, alumni, and friends of the school, using all available channels, including the Academy's website, the Woodward Magazine, media relations, advertising, and social media. In 2017, her responsibilities expanded to include admissions when she was named the Academy's Vice President for Enrollment Management. She leads a highly skilled team dedicated to welcoming new families to Woodward and ensuring an exceptional experience through every step of the student's journey, including inquiry, application, admission, retention, graduation, and beyond. Nija previously served in strategic marketing and consulting roles for the Coca-Cola company Anderson Consulting Strategic Services in GE Capital. She graduated with honors from Emory University and has a master's degree from the Harvard Graduate School of Business Administration. NIJA and her husband have been Woodward Academy parents since 2004, to a son in the class of 2019 and a daughter in the class of 2021. Welcome to the podcast, NIJA.:
1: Thank you so much, Angela. I'm excited to be here, and especially for this topic that's very near and dear to my heart.
0: I am also excited to dive into all things customer experience with you, but first I'm going to start with two questions that we ask every guest, starting with, what is something that you tried that didn't work and what did you learn?
1: Okay, so I don't mean to be evasive to your question, <laughs> um, but but I do, I, I like to try everything and I am a firm believer that everything works. Even at its very worst, it moves the needle in the direction that we want. And it allows us opportunities to tweak and improve to get to where we want to be. So I guess some examples would be, uh, we moved to a new admissions portal this year. We broke away from what all the other independent schools in Atlanta are doing, you know, with respect to using a different portal. And of course, there were glitches, but we powered through and we got creative and circumvented. And now we have an exceptionally user-friendly experience for our applying families as a result. And another example is we tried a uh, a surprise and delight idea. So for our first 100 families who re-enrolled, we decided to surprise them with a have a coffee on us token. Well, it wasn't the huge positive feedback that we were craving, but then again, nobody ever complains about a free coffee. So I, I guess my general MO is that if you never try, you'll never know. And if something doesn't go according to expectations, then really it just presents an opportunity to rearrange our plans.
0: That's great. I love that. Our next question is, what practices do you use to brainstorm and bring new ideas into your work?
1: So, Angela, coming from a corporate marketing and consulting background, I was surprised to see how much independent schools tend to somewhat stay in a bubble and recirculate the same set of ideas or even worse to, to fall into the trap of saying, well, this won't work because, or we've already tried that and it didn't work because, right. um, and I, I read that the, the real difficulty lies not so much in creating new ideas, but escaping from old ones, and I really subscribe to that theory. I, I think that new ideas are the lifeblood of our ever-evolving future, and I love to get those new ideas from anywhere and everywhere. Um, so, so in our case, I think the most helpful source probably comes from the ongoing surveys we conduct. I love to survey, survey, survey. So we survey those who toured our school but didn't apply, um, those who applied and they were admitted, but they enrolled elsewhere, uh, those who were longstanding students at our school but maybe chose not to re-enroll. Um, and then most recently, you know, those who are newest families and we look at what went well and what didn't go so well with the board, onboarding process. So we take the feedback from all those different constituency groups, and then my team and I brainstorm about how best to to tackle those challenges. So so again, the ideas are coming from everywhere, um, and we owe it to our future to look into every single one of them.
0: I actually want to stay on that point about surveys for a little bit, because we for people who are listening to this episode in October of 2021. We have recently at Niche released a state of PK-12 enrollment and marketing survey. And one of the things that I found to be very surprising was that the vast majority of admissions, communications, um, other school administrators who responded to the survey do not survey families when they've gone through the admission process. It was actually 63% said that they did not survey families once they've gone through the admission process, which I thought was fascinating because to your point, surveying is actually really, really important and valuable. And there are so many times that I know that we hear things like, we don't know how our families are finding us. We don't know what tools they're using. And surveying is a part of answering that question, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I I find that astonishing as well. I had no idea that it was as high as 63%. Yes. Um, but how are you going to measure what worked and what didn't work if you don't have a baseline? And and, and that's another thing that independent schools kind of have an inclination to do is to, to use anecdotal evidence. Yes. Um, you know, oh, I heard that this is a problem or, you know, this family complained about that. Well, that's not really fair because we know that the loudest families, you know, may not necessarily be representative of the, the broader family base. So I think it's Critical that we find out, first of all, what is it that our parents want? What is it that our students want? And then to go from there. So yeah, the 63% definitely astonishes me.
0: Yeah, that's a it's a huge, huge number. So survey your families, please. (laughs) It's very at multiple stages of the process, right? I, I think that you know, doing surveys in the admissions process, new parent surveys can be very valuable. And it's something that we certainly suggest. There's, of course, the annual parent satisfaction survey and looking for other ways to weave surveying into getting your fingers on the pulse of what's really going on and separating that anecdotal information from what's really happening in your community is really
1: important. Absolutely.
0: So now we're going to get into the meat of our discussion, and I know that we're both very excited to talk mm-hmm. about the, the topic of customer experience in schools. So a lot of schools, especially privates and charters, based on, on the data that we're seeing, have experienced record enrollment because of the ongoing pandemic. So it probably seems a little interesting to folks that we're having this conversation now, but I think we both agree that customer experience is absolutely critical for retention. And these schools that are seeing these increases in enrollment, obviously you want to hold on to those families. And there's an opportunity for you to maybe nurture some families who have been with you for a bit, but you know might be starting to look at other options. -hmm. So, to start, Nija, why do you think that having a strategic focus on student and parent experience is important, regardless of where they might be in terms of enrollment?
1: Yeah, uh, great question. And I guess I think there are really two reasons why a strategic focus on the student and parent experiences is so essential. And the first is the reason that you mentioned. I hate to even think about anything good happening as a result of the pandemic when there's been so much death and illness and financial loss and all those horrible things. But there is no question that the pandemic has been helpful to enrollment at the majority of independent schools. And we've all been referring to it as the COVID bump. But a bump, by definition, is something that's sudden and temporary, which means that on the other side of that bump, (laughs) we're going to come back to, to the surface that we were initially on. And if you look at what that surface was that we were initially on, it was a declining enrollment landscape. There was a shift in demographic trends, um, declining birth rates in various sectors, tuition increases, outpacing wealthy family income growth. And those problems have not gone away. And we cannot bury our heads in the sand to all these critical, critical issues. So you know, we've, we've got to, to understand that this, this surge that we've had is, is temporary. And then a second reason that I think that a strategic focus on the student and parent experience is so important is that what families and millennials in particular want from an independent school has completely changed over the years. Uh, Once upon a time, you know, even back in my time, if a parent had a question about the curriculum or about grades or anything else, the school's typical approach would be, well, you're paying for your child to get a great education, trust us. But those days, Angela, are gone. You know, we've all seen NAIS a study about how families are more transactional in nature, how they hire and fire schools to do certain jobs for them. And if you think about the world that they live in and, and real, the world that we all live in, it's a world that demands immediate response times and tailored experiences and following up on satisfaction. You know, it's a world with Amazon and Uber and Starbucks, where everything's at our fingertips, you know, right away. So it's no wonder that our parents and especially our millennials um, or millennial parents demand the right to have what they want, when they want it, and how they want it. And that's where I'm Get ready. I'm going to use a little bit of a dirty word here, but our parents and our students are our customers. Yes. And I say it's a dirty word because it continues to surprise me how much resistance there is in the independent school world. To thinking of our parents and students as customers, you know, just just the definition: a customer is an individual who purchases a product or a service. Well, that's exactly what our parents are doing. And then what exacerbates the situation is that school administrators are concerned that customer service means handing out an A. Well, you know, I always say Disney has exemplary customer service, but they're not allowing their part customers to break in line. So. If Corporate America is rolling out the red carpet for its customers and for a much lower cost product and a much less emotional product. Why aren't we? You know, we've got to listen to our customers. We have to give them a voice and we've really got to learn from those in corporate America who, who do it best.
0: I think that's that's a really important point because as we talked about as we were getting ready for this conversation this is the experience that our families are having in every other aspect of their lives you know with the hotels that they're staying in the vacations that they're taking Mm -hmm. the dealerships for the cars that they drive the the stores that they're shopping in all of these places are focusing on this so the last place where that emphasis should break down is at their children's school and yet often that's what happens which is really, really fascinating. And I I think that's true in every every school segment, frankly. I mean, we're seeing some really interesting shifts that are happening with the way that parents are, you know, to use another probably dirty word, shopping for schools. But really, they Mm -hmm. are increasingly transactional in terms of the way that they're looking at school communities and what they're expecting, particularly if they're paying tuition. And I don't think any school of any kind can take their families for granted at this point based on the data. You know, I think the pandemic has really shown that parents are waking up to the idea that, you know what, I can choose and I probably shouldn't just assume that I'm going to go to the school in my backyard or the school that I thought I was going to send my children to or the school where they're currently enrolled you know, I think we have to realize that on an increasing basis, even families that may seem to be very engaged in your community, they always kind of have one foot out the door. <laughs> and yeah. so, you know, we, our job is, is to keep them from making that other choice. And so that this is just a really, really important conversation.
1: Yeah. And Angela, it's so interesting because when you talk about the, the choice, um, you know, it's not just choice of school. What we're competing against is you know, it, it, it's a share of wallet. It's not just a share of the school market, but so, so we're competing against their second homes yes. um, or uh, against vacations. So every step of the way, they are looking at us, not just in relationship to other schools, but in relation to the other areas in which they could be spending dollars.
0: I think that's a great point, too, because as consumer behavior has shifted throughout the course of the pandemic, we've kind of gone from this place of everything being locked down and families having fewer options for where to spend their disposable income to now being in a place where, you know, the world has essentially opened up again. And so now all of these things that were off the table last school year are back on. You know, the kids are playing sports again. They're taking vacations again as a family you know they are looking at making more of those discretionary purchases that were off the table before and made that tuition payment a little bit easier to make and so that's yet another area where it's really really important for schools to think about this topic differently
1: yes you know and, and then you also mentioned hotel choices and all that so I'd love to share a couple of examples if we have time, um, you Absolutely. know, one, one being a, a higher priced point item and then one maybe a, a lower, but when I think about learning from corporate American who does it best, so one example is, is, is Ritz-Carlton and you may have heard of Ritz-Carlton's $2,000 rule, but in, in a nutshell at Ritz-Carlton, every single employee is allowed to spend up to $2,000 to appease a dissatisfied customer. And they can do that without even having to ask their manager. So it seems crazy, but the results prove themselves as far as delivering an exceptional customer experience. And, and a great story that happened years ago, and you may have heard of it, I even looked it up the other day. So, little girl, her name was Ansley Giorgio, five years old, vacationing with her parents at the Ritz Carlton and Amelia Island. And when they returned home, the entire family was in complete dismay because they realized they'd left her her Elmo doll at the Ritz and she'd been sleeping with her Elmo doll since she was a baby. Well, because the Ritz puts the customer experience first and foremost, not only did the hotel employees find Elmo and Fed- FedEx and back, which is great service, but you know to be expected, but they sent back a book that said Elmo had been having so much fun at the Ritz that Elmo had decided to stay a few more days. And in the book were pictures showing Elmo relaxing by the pool, lifting weights at the gym, playing video games at the hotel's arcade. So as you can imagine, is that family then a lifetime customer of the Ritz? Yeah, absolutely. And imagine even further, if we treated each student and family with that same degree of thought and creativity, would they be lifetime students at our school? I really venture to say that, that they would. And, you know, even so, so, that example is for a $500 a night hotel, but, but the same principles of customer service apply to lower priced products as well. And an example that comes to mind there is, is Chick fil A. And I, I know there are some potential controversies about their stance, but I'm bringing them up in the context of exemplary customer service. So, Chick fil A employees watched. Um, How moms would struggle when they were placing orders and had their toddlers and their babies and had to order the food and struggle to set it down on the table and then go get a high chair and get everyone situated. So, what they did is they created something called Mom's Ballet. And in Mom's Ballet, the parents come through the drive-thru, they order, and then the employees do all the work and jump into action. They prepare the order, they get the table, they set the table, they put the high chairs out, they fill the drinks, they put the condiments out. And then all the parent has to do is to come in and have a seat. So Chick-fil-A sells $3 chicken biscuits. So if they're rolling out the red carpet and really being attentive to the pressure and pain points of their customers for that price point, why are we not doing that for a $30,000 education?
0: And, and and in many cases more, you know, where where I huh. am in the D.C. area and looking in in markets like the the New York metropolitan area and in lots of areas of California, those those tuition prices are even higher. And I, I think that's just another great example, not just of exceptional customer service, but also the importance of having everyone in an institution contribute to that. And that's something that I know that we're going to get to in a little bit. So I'm looking forward to unpacking that a little bit more. Yes. Now, a few years ago, probably about two years ago, there was a lot of conversation actually about schools having like a chief customer experience officer, a similar role to oversee parent and student experience, but not many schools have recruited for that role or kept it filled. And I'd love to get your take on why you think that might be and who you think should own that responsibility in schools.
1: You know, I think that every one of us needs to own that responsibility. The parent and student experience, it's not one person's job, it's everyone's job. So, you know, going back again to to corporate America, Disney emphasizes how every role is a starring role, and they even refer to their part maintenance crew as custodial guest services, because each one of us has the power to touch the student and parent experience. And we can learn a lot from that approach. So, of course, in in our case, with schools, faculties are the most on the front line and have the greatest power to impact the student and parent experience. But regardless, I don't think you can create one position or one department to own that responsibility, because in order for it to be effective, it has to be pervasive throughout the culture. It has to be a a way of life. And I guess it kind of ties back to your first question about where good ideas come from. And i would said everywhere. And the same pertains to owning the responsibility for the parent and student experience. But, but that being said, I, I do recognize that the, the process and the initiatives need to get started from somewhere. So I suppose the responsibility of creating that awareness and kick-starting ideas probably lies with whatever department oversees enrollment management. And I say that because the power to recruit and to retain, which is what enrollment management is about, is 100% dependent on our students and families having an outstanding experience. So I know that I personally, um, you know, leading in uh, Woodward's enrollment management, I personally take it upon myself to connect the dots across the entirety of a family's experience from the time that they inquire at Woodward, through the entire time they attend Woodward, and you know, even a little bit after they graduate, to make sure that we are giving them the best possible experience every step of the way. And when I say the best experience, I just don't want them to be happy and stay with us. I want them to be so happy that they're shouting it from the rooftops and helping us to get new families as a result. Right, right.
0: Yeah, that's, that's really important. And it's interesting because as we look at these sort of parallels between corporate America and schools, they're also having some similar challenges And that customer experience is still a very important and hot topic in corporate America. And there's this, this challenge with both corporate entities and schools where there can be such a focus on acquisition you yeah, know bringing mm-hmm. in new customers bringing in new families and a lot of time and energy and resources go into that effort but not quite as much of a focus goes into retention and that's something that i would really challenge schools to think about going into the next couple of years as we return to maybe not necessarily normal behaviors, but but a more normal sort of market position, and things start to settle back, and and parents continue to think about where they want to send their children to school, that acquisition and retention companionship is really, really important when you're thinking about enrollment management holistically, as you should.
1: Yes, Angela, that is so true, and um, and it's truer now more than ever because of all the new families that we, de- we did get. So if we continue to just singularly focus on acquiring more and more families without putting just as much work on the retention part, we're missing a critical part of the equation.
0: Yes. So your school, Woodward Academy, has taken this topic so seriously that the school has actually made it part of its strategic plan. Can you talk about how that happened and some of the initiatives that have been introduced?
1: Um, Yeah. So we are uh, working on our strategic plan right now to take us to our, and I always say this wrong, so I'll see if I can pronounce it right, (laughs) Quasquicentennial, which is 125th anniversary. Um, So our strategic plan, the name of it is actually called An Unparalleled Student Experience. So every goal that we are setting and every action item that we're putting in place puts the student front and center. Wow. Now, you know, we're we're still working on it. So I I can't really go into the specifics now. But what I can do is is tell you about some of the initiatives that we've already put in place that are leading up to it. And then we will continue to build on those. But, you know, you had mentioned earlier about uh, retention and about how there is such a focus in independent schools on, on getting new families. Well, that's one of the first things that I discovered when I came to Woodward is that, yes, we are doing a great job of reaching out to new families and rolling out the red carpet and sharing all the information about our school. But our current families, and we found this out through survey, 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 um, but they felt like they didn't have the information at their disposal that we were giving to new families. So we came up with what we called parent preview days. And, you know, parents felt anxiety. So so we're a large school. So we have um, different school divisions. We have our primary school from pre-K to third grade. Our lower school is fourth, fifth, sixth. Our middle school is seventh, eighth. Upper school, ninth through twelfth. And then we have a a satellite campus in in Johns Creek. But my point is, is that when a family had a third grader and their next school was lower school, You know, there's a lot of anxiety there. Well, you know, and and simple things like, well, you know, I heard there are lockers, you know, when you go to the the lower school, what's that like? How's my child going to know their combination? You know, what's the, the lunch like? Oh, I heard they have to move around between classes. So if we're educating our new families so much on what each grade's experience is, why aren't we doing the same thing with our current families? So we did these special kind of roll out the red carpet days for our current families. You know, similarly, another initiative that we put in place is parents want a voice. They want to be heard. They want an outlet. So we created something that we call an "I Wonder" link, and its objective is to give families the the voice. You know that, that I was talking about earlier. So it's you know whatever is on their mind, they can put it in "I Wonder." It could be a really simple question. It could be a more complex, or or maybe even a controversial topic and our promise to them is that we will get back to them in 24 hours. And if we need longer than 24 hours, we email them to let them know we're looking into it. We never promise them that, you know, their ideas or suggestions will come to fruition, but we do promise them that we'll look look into it and get back to them right away. And that's an idea that I actually got a while back from I don't know if your members uh, Starbucks had a My Starbucks crowdsourcing idea where they yes. allowed customers to put in their thoughts and ideas and I said, well, why why don't we do that for, for our families? You know, the other thing when we were talking earlier about surveys um, at the end of each survey, we always give families an opportunity to put in their, their contact information if they would like to share more. Well, we make it a point to reach out to each individual who took the time to complete a survey, really read through what they said and, and have a dialogue with them. So even again, yeah, and, uh, and I'm so happy because the families that we contact, even if we're, their idea doesn't pan out or their suggestion doesn't pan out, they feel heard and they feel valued, yeah. and it really helps us to, to build a relationship with them. So I could go on and on, you know we have a retention committee that we put together so that even if there's a rumor about a family being upset, we're able to nip that in the bud. We've extended it to, to prospective families, you know, be, because we want their student and parent experience to be exceptional too. And we really want to get to know a specific child and their specific interests. So we have started only touring one family at a time, even on virtual tours, when a lot of schools were, you know, putting 50 families onto a virtual tour platform. So we're really trying to take that, you know, understand and listen to your customer and just spread it throughout every aspect of of the journey at at Woodward.
0: Oh my goodness. There's so much I want to come back to (laughs) and what you just said. First, I just want to say that I really like the idea of doing these more individualized family tours because you know personalization is another thing that's kind of coming up as a topic that schools are talking about and, and looking at ways to do that. And Woodward has found a way to do that from the very beginning and to really make families feel, especially knowing that they're looking at lots of other schools. If mm-hmm. every school that you tour or visit offers a similar experience and then you get to one that really makes it personal and customized, that school is going to stand out. And I, I wonder if schools are really thinking as creatively and, and if, if, almost if they're as scrappy as they were you know, two and three years ago pre-pandemic because there has been this increase in interest. And so I really love that idea. I also want to go back to the I wonder link because that seems like something that's so simple that even if you're a school with a small team or you don't have a lot of resources to make a huge initial investment in, in this sort of customer experience idea, who owns that link? How is, how is that managed in terms of determining who responses and, and, and how that works?
1: Sure. So um what we did, so 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 my department owns it, so in enrollment management. So uh, we created an alias email. We call it eagleinfo at woodward.edu because our mascot is the, the war eagle. So it the the anytime somebody submits something to the I Wonder link, it goes to Eagle Info. Um, so Eagle Info, our marketing and communications department at Woodward is kind of the the day-to-day taking a look at what the inquiries or suggestions or, or, or questions are that are coming in. And we usually have the information available uh, because part of what we do in marketing and communications is to know about what's happening throughout the academy. And, um, you know, so, so, so we, we take a first stab. Sometimes we're not able to answer a question. And if that's the case, then we also know what department to direct it to. So it may be a question that has to do with an academic schedule, um, it may be a question that has to do with athletics. So then we would respond. You know, we would reach out to the director of athletics and say, hey, this question came in. Can you please respond to the parent and copy Eagle Info so that we know that it's been responded to? And then we track all of them. And then if we ever detect a pattern or a theme, um, then we know that this is something that's worth brainstorming a little bit more about and coming up with an initiative that might be able to speak to that.
0: That's fantastic. And I I think that there are two really great takeaways for folks there. One being that you don't always have to have the answer in the moment. You know, it's the important thing is that people feel as though they're being heard and they know that follow up is happening. That's really critically important because that's the other. Yes. Yeah. That's the other piece (laughs) of, you know, you've heard me, but what's going to happen next? So managing that expectation is absolutely critical. And the other is I I really like the idea of having a centralized way for families to directly ask questions and communicate because what I think often happens is someone might go to a teacher or a division director or worse, another parent, and then it never goes anywhere. You know, the complaint or the wondering or the idea either never goes anywhere, doesn't go to the right place. <laughs> and so right. that leads to frustration and a lot of negative sentiment that probably doesn't need to happen if you just give your families a better way, right?
1: Exactly. And that is why even having the, you know, that one email address. And so it, it took a while when we first started this and there were still you know, questions and suggestions being sent different ways, but it quickly through word of mouth spread, oh, you want an answer? <laughs> Email eagleinfo at order.edu and they'll be on top of it.
0: Right, right. And actually on a related note, I would love to hear more on your perspective for how marketing communications and admissions folks can engage their colleagues from other departments. So we, we talked earlier about these great examples from Chick-fil-A and the Ritz-Carlton and how there are brands that are really empowering their employees to create and cultivate these customer experience moments. How can that look in a school environment?
1: Sure, so um, the way we are here, so we have an enrollment management team, which is a really beneficial approach, not just to our enrollment numbers, but but to the student and parent experience that leads to those enrollment numbers. Um, So the way it works is that, Within the enrollment management department, if you will, we've got marketing, communications, admissions, financial aid, which are all very important to the customer experience. Our marketing and admissions team has a lot of joint brainstorming sessions, like I was talking about earlier, um, where we look at who our different buyer segments are and what's important to them. And that's really critical because you can't deliver an exceptional experience unless you know what the families are looking for how they're defining an exceptional experience. So, you know, we do all that within our our enrollment management team here, but then we kind of start branching out. So next, we work closely with the academic side. Um, So my colleague, Marsha Pruitt-Spiller, who's our um, VP for academic and student life, she and I meet almost daily to discuss ways to strengthen the experience through programming, through the teacher-student relationship. And then we branch out even further to having a retention committee, which now includes the school principals. And we start collecting information on anyone who might even be considering leaving. And, and then we rely on those principals to call those people before it's too late and, and, and see how they might be able to rectify any concerns. Because I think that you've got to start by identifying the issues, but then ideally for that for that. Personal and direct contact with, and I'm calling it the customer again, but it's the people who, who work with them and deal with them every day. So, you know, it's best if the teacher or the principal be the, the face and the voice of the direct communications.
0: That's great. So, what advice would you give to other leaders in admissions, communications, and marketing who are just trying to get started in this area?
1: So I will be honest that it really helps to have buy-in from the top down. Um, so if the president or, or head of school understands and embraces how important the student and parent experience um, are to enrollment and re-enrollment, and therefore the bottom line, it's it's gonna go a long way. If they don't really understand it, then there are some possibilities. I mean, one, there's so many articles out there now about customer service and about the importance of faculty, you know, and, and how schools, uh, some schools are even making marketing and providing a good customer experience part of the, the contract, the, the, the faculty contract. So refer to those because those are always, you know, great resources to turn to. But it's also possible to create a business case. So, for example, you could take a look at families who might have left because of a poor experience. What was that impact on retention and therefore on the bottom line? If you're doing surveys, one of the things we always ask about is net promoter score, which measures word of mouth. So you can quantify the impact of, of net promoter score on, on enrollment. So, you know, I, I definitely start with, you know, making sure that, that you've got the buy-in from the top down, but then it also helps to kind of engage and speak with teachers in their, in their own language from, from their perspective, because teachers want the same thing that we want. Teachers want the best and brightest students and we want to help them get that so you know by making it when teachers see that by making our students and parents have the best best experience possible the teachers are going to get to keep their strongest students and those strongest students are going to get new students who are just as strong you know and so on and so on and then i guess the only other thing i would say is stick with your plans and and don't let up and (laughs) My colleagues always kind of joke with me and I'm sure I'm probably getting on their nerves because I am always throwing in a way to find out, well, what do students and parents think about this? You know, I'm always finding an opportunity to interview them or to send a survey or at the very least in every single communication, I always add a line saying, do you have questions or concerns? Please contact us at... Um, and I've had people beg me, do we really need to ask them if they have questions or concerns? Because if we add it, we've got to respond to it. But basically, you know, it, it, it's a process. So I would just say, but stay with it and it'll just get better and and, and don't let up.
0: I think that's great advice. And, you know, I, I think with your faculty, it's just like anything else in marketing, admissions, fundraising, you know, communications. If you can help them to understand the business case and the impact and provide constant training and conversation, I think to your point about sticking with it, part of that includes incorporating messaging about the importance of things like branding and customer experience and all of these things that have traditionally been, you know, Dirty words associated with mm-hmm. the corporate world, but are increasingly relevant in schools of of all kinds. People need those frequent reminders. and you know one of the things that I've talked about on this podcast before is that you don't learn when you're learning to become an educator about the business side of being in a school. Whether it's a public school, a private school, wherever it is that you land, that isn't taught. They teach you how to be a good teacher. They teach you classroom management. They teach you about all of the skills that are associated with running a classroom and educating students, but you don't learn about the business side. Right. And so, I think that our roles as, you know, school marketing and admissions administrators is really to help them along and help colleagues, you know, who are sitting around the leadership table who have backgrounds that are very academic have to help them along too. You know, most people who are overseeing academic programs or are principals or division directors and, and oftentimes even heads of school don't necessarily have that background and they're really looking to their marketing admissions and communications leaders to help with that and to provide that support.
1: Sure. And, and, and it's doable. So, you know, when I think back to when I first moved into the independent school world it was 2014 and I remember my first NAIS conference and there was a workshop and they kept apologizing for talking about marketing and advertising and I was looking around going what you know, why are they apologizing about marketing and advertising and you know that's what it was like in 2014 and now here we are 7 years later and I don't think any schools apologize anymore about using phrases like marketing and advertising so I think we will eventually get there with the with the whole concept of customer and customer service as well.
0: I certainly hope so.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Me too. (laughs)
0: This has been such a great conversation, Nija. Before we wrap up, where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you?
1: Oh, sure. Well, please always feel free to email me directly. My email address is is nija.meyer at woodwork.edu. That's N-I-J-A dot M-E-Y-E-R at woodwork.edu yeah, but feel free to reach out to me. I'm always happy to have this conversation with with any school.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Angela.